Good morning. How's everybody? Good, good. Good to see you today. You know, I thought we'd start with something, uh, a little family, a little touch of, uh, of uh, kind of what God's done in our family. We'd give you a little catch up, you know, since uh, you, you probably don't know all that's happened here with our new granddaughter, right? I mean, I've only talked about it for two weeks straight. But anyway, I want to show you a picture of the family now three weeks uh, later. And I uh, want to introduce them to you. So um, that's our daughter, uh, Jen, and our new granddaughter, Gracie Bell. Isn't she cute? Yeah. And then Brandon, our son-in-law. And then there's two dogs, uh, Whiskey River and June Carter. Now, let me tell you the story behind this because they thought if they would go ahead and get dogs that that would teach them everything they needed to know about raising children. How many of you know that doesn't even make sense, right? Because you have no concept of what it's like until they keep you up all hours of the night, and they're like little terrorists, you know? It's like they will not tell you what they want, but they're going to use sleep deprivation until you finally figure it out. And then uh, just one more picture here. I thought this was especially cute, so I just thought, isn't that cute? Don't we all love babies? Why do we all grow up to look like this, right? You know, why can't we just stay little babies all the time? But, uh, you know, this is a time of gratitude and thankfulness. And as we think about this subject of heaven, and this is our sermon series, is heaven, I was kind of doodling on a piece of paper, and I just started writing this down. And I want you to, I want you to think about this word because it's so powerful. I started with the word heaven, and then I just put the word equals hope. And as I, as I jotted that down, I realized how important hope is in our life. If you just have a thread of hope, you can go on. It's when you feel hopeless that you don't know what to do. And you're struggling, you're trying to find some avenue just to get a little bit of hope. Even a word that someone says to you, which may, may or may not be true, but they'll say, hey, I think everything's going to work out. You know there's no basis for that comment, but somehow that fuels that little bit of hope that you need to get through the next day. You see, we are really uh, just kind of containers of hope. And when we speak to people and we give them some hope and we give them some encouragement, it's so powerful. And one of the things that got me thinking about the idea of heaven equals hope is that it's the ultimate hope that we have. You know, when I was uh, first uh, starting out in seminary and we were in ministry, um, you had to do an internship. An internship that they, uh, the only one they had left for me to do was to be a chaplain in a hospital. Now, if you know me very well, you know I just don't do good in hospitals. I mean, I get like lightheaded, pass out. I've passed out in two hospitals. I'm just not great at this thing, and that's the irony of the whole thing. So to make it worse, they gave me the assignment. I would go in and pray with people who were having very serious surgeries, not knowing if they were going to make it. That was my job. So I would walk into a room and I, you know, you kind of walk with this idea that if you're really in that bad a shape, you should really want prayer. And I would walk in and I'd say, hi, I'm, I'm the chaplain. I'd like to have prayer with you. And probably a third of the people would say, I don't need any prayer. And it was so disheartening to me. How could you not need prayer or not even take a chance at needing prayer? If I didn't really believe in God, I'd go, you know what, this is kind of like throwing the dice. Maybe it'll work. 
go ahead and pray for me, right? I mean, that's my mindset. And I can tell you how different their whole demeanor was, how different their whole perspective on life was from then going to the next room and I would say, hey, could I have prayer with you? They say, that would be wonderful. And you could just feel the whole room light, you know, just light up with joy and, and positivity and hope and all those things that we long for. And so, you know, I've often reflected on that and how God has put heaven out here is this opportunity for the ultimate hope. That regardless, at the end of life, this is where we're headed. This is a destination place. And then Jesus wanted to take that hope, and he said, but I want to bring hope down to you. I want you to do, have more than just at the end of life kind of hope. I want you to have daily hope in your life. And in the Bible, the word hope is really defined as confident assurance. What God has promised, God will provide in our life. You know, Jesus is called our blessed hope. Isn't that interesting? The blessed hope. And Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and here it is, on earth as it is in heaven. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to bring heaven down to earth. I want you to bring the mindset I want you to bring the power. I want you to bring the promises. I want all those things to come to earth. Now, whenever you read your Bible, it's important to know what it says. Sometimes we kind of glean over what it says and we get on to what we feel or what we think it says. One of the interesting things about the Bible is that it actually talks about three heavens. Now, heavens in the, in the sense that we think of uh, not like going to heaven kind of places, but if this is planet Earth, let me just show you, and we're going to talk about each one of these, and each one of these have a dimension that God speaks to. The first heaven is described in the Bible as our atmosphere. The atmosphere where the birds fly, that is called in the Bible heaven. In fact, we look up, we, we say we look into heaven. But the Bible says in, in the book of Genesis that when God created, he created the heavens and the earth. Remember that? The heavens, plural, and the earth. So let's look at it. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 12. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give you rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. So he said rain comes from the heavens. Second heaven, this one here, we're going to talk about as being space. And we think about the sun, the moon, and the stars. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14 that he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And they were for signs and for seasons. But look what it says here in Psalm 19 and verse 1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. So I look into the heavens, and what do I see? I go, wow, this is really amazing. Look at the sun, the, the, the moon, the stars. Look at the planets. Look at this. This didn't just happen. Somebody bigger and greater than me did this. This wasn't just the result of some big bang, and then, you know, one day I pulled myself out of the primeval sludge, and I lost my tail, grew some arms, and now I have a doctor's degree. That didn't happen. That, to me, is faith. 
But God wants us to understand something about the way he's created the heavens and the earth. The third heaven is going to be the focus of us today. That's the dwelling place of God. And that's what we typically think of when we think of heaven, the dwelling place of God, the destination of those who know God, love God. It's the place of grand reunions with those who've gone on before us. All those things are true. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 14, behold the heaven... The heaven of heavens. Notice this one, this third heaven, is called the heaven of heavens. So he differentiates this so we kind of get an idea here. The heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God. And then in 1 Kings 8 and 27 it says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Now, as we go through life, the challenge we have is that we're not in heaven, that we have to live with our daily lives and our challenges, our setbacks, and nobody is exempt from that. We all have those. Have you ever walked into church and think, I'm the only one with a problem? You ever had that thought? You know, kind of like, you know, I'm, everybody's, I'm messed up. Everybody's kind of got it figured out. Everybody's nodding at exactly the right time. I don't even know when to nod. I mean, all those things go through your mind. Has that ever happened to you? I want you to know you're in a room that's safe. Everybody's messed up. The ones who don't know they are are double messed up. Amen? All right, so let's just clear the air. Nobody's got it all together. Everybody's on a journey. Everybody's trying to find answers and get to the place that God has for them in their life. So here's what I've discovered, that every problem that you face in life is ultimately a wisdom problem. Every problem that you face in life is ultimately a wisdom problem. Whenever you encounter a problem, have you ever noticed one of the first reactions is, what am I going to do? Who can help me? How am I going to get out of this mess? How long will this last? And when you're in the middle of a problem, it seems like eternity, does it not? You go like, am I ever going to get through this problem? Will this ever become solved? You know, one thing that I've learned in in life is that 90% of what you worry about will never happen. Think about all the things you worry about. Sort it out. How many of those things have really become a reality in your life? I was, I was just laying in bed, you know, a few weeks ago, and I was thinking about, and for some reason my mind was just flooded with all the things that could go wrong. And it was like God said, are you serious? It's kind of how God talks to me, right? Are you serious? You know what you say all the time. 90% of what you worry about doesn't happen. I said, I know, God, but there's 10% still left. But see, what I found out is 10% of the stuff may happen, but you can negotiate, I mean, you can navigate your way through that with the power of God. Yeah, life is not perfect. Can we all say amen? Nobody on planet Earth is perfect, and the ones who are are really imperfect. They're like double dumb, amen? Okay, so what we want to see is I want to jump you into this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where the Apostle Paul begins to talk about an experience he had a vision, a revelation. He's not sure how to define it, but it leads us into an understanding of how we navigate through life. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 4, 1 through 4, it says, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He said, I know you want to hear about that. I know you want to know more about that, but I've got something else that I really need to tell you that's really pressing. He said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, 
But God knows such a one was caught up into the third heaven. Now, of course, he's talking about himself. So he said, 14 years ago, I had an experience. I'm not even sure where to put it. I don't know how to define it. I don't know whether I was in the body, out of the body. I don't know whether it was dreaming, it was a revelation, open vision. I don't know what it was. And he said, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out, I do not know. But God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I ever read that, and if this is the first time you ever heard it, you're going, oh, great. You're going to tell me something and not tell me something. Have you ever had people do that to you? Hey, you know, somebody told me something about you, but I can't tell you. I'm going to kill you. Not really, but you know what I mean? It's just like, you can't set me up like that. You know, like if my wife will call and says, hey, when you get home, we need to talk. Oh, I'm having four heart attacks before I get home. What do you mean we need to talk, right? Those are the scariest words ever spoken by any woman. We need to talk. And so, you know, it's, it's amazing how things like that work in our life somehow to the negative. But here's what he said. Vision, here's what I want you to understand. Vision and revelations are important, but they do not sustain faith. You see, we could give you a list of all the miracles and all the healings we've seen in this church. And I could take that list and I could go through it and I could separate out some people who've experienced some of the greatest miracles who rarely do we find in church. Rarely do we find giving glory to God. I do not understand that. How can you taste of God on that level and somehow just move on with life? I was reading over there the story of the rich man and Lazarus and how the rich man said to Abraham, said to, to, to God there, he said, go send Lazarus to warn my brothers that they don't come in this horrible place. And the response is, neither will they believe even if a man is raised from the dead. Miracles, visions, and revelations do not sustain your faith. Your faith is sustained by the word of God and a living, vital relationship with Jesus. That's what you cultivate. When visions, revelations, and those things come in your life and miracles occur, those are blessings, no doubt. But those will not sustain you. You need what will sustain you through the tough times, through the difficulties and the challenges of life. You see, faith is a key to discovering the nature of the the invisible realm. You see, when I look at things that are of faith, sometimes they don't make sense to me. I can't, I can't sort out life. People will bring me a situation and say, what do you think? And I go, I don't know. And they kind of want me to, to give them an answer because I've maybe studied the Bible a little bit more than they had. And I say, I don't know. There are things that I cannot comprehend with my mind. I can only understand in the realm of faith as God gives me insight and shows me something. And sometimes I can't understand them until I look back in life and see what, how, what God has done and how God has worked. Can we all understand that? That makes sense, right? And what we want to do is be okay with that because what we believe is not beyond reason. It just far exceeds our ability to reason. I can't put it in a human compartment, but I can put it in a supernatural compartment. One of the things that I understand in my life is I have to feed faith and I have to starve out fear in my life. Fear is the easiest thing to slip into my life. And it may not even be real. You have heard that acrostic that fear stands for false evidence that appears real. 
Sometimes you go like, this is really, I got every reason to be afraid, and you go, and then it doesn't happen. What God wants us to do is to start starving out the things in our life that cause us to be afraid, and, by, and we do it not by neglecting it, but by feeding our faith. How do I feed my faith in such a way that there's no room for fear to get the best of me? I love that story of David and Goliath. You all know that story, kind of the basics, the little guy fights the big guy, right? We always love the underdog stories, don't we? So here's little David, and here's this giant Goliath. He's like 10 feet tall. And all of us, and everybody's afraid of him. You know, he's the ultimate bully on the playground. And so he comes out and he says, send me a man and we'll do battle. And so here comes little David, and he said, you send me out a dog? What, you, what, what are you doing? You're sending out this little boy? And here's what David, how David responds. He said, who is this Philistine who, who challenges the armies of the Most High God? God who has delivered me from the mouth of the lion and the paw of the bear will surely kill this Philistine dog this day. Now think about it. He picks up five stones. He only needs one. You say, why did he pick up five? Because Goliath had four brothers. That's what the Bible says. He picks up five stones. He slings that. He gets, he's looking at him. He goes, I can't miss this guy. Look how big he is. Your problems always seem big, but guess what? They can't be missed with God's power. You will demolish them in an instant. He takes a sling. He releases it. The stone sinks deep into his forehead. He falls to the ground, but he does not die by the stone. He dies by the sword. You will live or you will die by the sword. The sword has two edges, life and death. And when you apply it, that's why when Jesus comes back, it says he will be seen, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, every eye is going to see him, and out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. And that's, that's language just saying he's coming with the authority of the word of God. He will deal with enemies with the word of God. That's why David cut off the head of Goliath with the sword. That's why throughout Scripture it says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the marrow, uh, the, the soul and the, and, the, and the spirit, the bone and the marrow, discerning the true intentions of the heart. That's how God works. So as we begin to progress through this, we have to, you see, faith, what it does is it makes room for your understanding to grow. I don't understand. Grow your faith, you'll understand more. Grow your faith, you'll understand more. People say, well, I just read more. I'm reading the Bible through in a year. That's great, but grow your faith because your faith will give room for the Bible then to give you understanding in what he's up to. The other thing I've seen is that humility is the password for heaven. It's, a, it's just the password for heaven. You know, if you ask somebody if they're humble and they say yes, you know they've already blown it. If you know or think you're humble, you're not. Humility is something that God has to do in us, but we have to give ourselves unto that. And what Paul does in this story is he, he brings us to the place of understanding how we, how we come to humility. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 and 8, Paul says this, And lest I should exalt myself above measure by the abundance of revelation." A thorn in the flesh was given to me. It doesn't seem like this is the way it ought to work. God gives him these great revelations. Then he says, what I'm going to do, though, I'm going to give you a thorn in the flesh to keep you humble. 
You ever wondered why God just doesn't make life easy for you all the time? I mean, I do. You know, have you ever tried to talk God into giving you an easy life? You know, God, I, I think you like me, right? I mean, we talk a lot. I'm your son. Been doing this job for you. And I'm talking God into it. God's, no, you don't understand that there are things that I have to put in your life constantly that are a challenge in your life to keep you humble so that you understand who I am in your life. Now, I don't like it. Is that okay? But I understand it because faith gives me understanding. It makes room for that. And look what he says. It was a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He goes, God, I don't like this. Would you take it away? He goes, no. God, I don't like this. Would you take it? No. God, I don't like this. Would you take it away? No. Wow. God says, I'm going to give you access, and first it's going to be a gift. And then it's going to be a test. When God gives you a deeper understanding of who he is and his nature and his person, at first it seems like a gift. But then he says, no, it's going to be a test. Because I'm going to take you to another level. You see, each, each season of faith requires new tools. The faith that got you something a year ago won't get you that same thing this year. You have to grow in a deeper understanding of faith. God is going to constantly be pushing you to a new level of faith. And you'll say, I don't understand, God. I prayed last year and this thing happened. And God says, this is a new year. You're a new person. You're, I'm growing you up for the kingdom. I'm not trying to get all your prayers answered. I kind of like the other picture, God. Can you just give me everything I want? That's all I really want. It's not like a drive through window. I, I like to go over to Chick-fil-A. Anybody like Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A, I love Chick-fil-A. And every time I go over there and they come out and they're so efficient, they walk out there and they go, cash your credit card? I go, credit card? I can take that right here, sir. What would you like? I said, I'd like a chicken, a spicy chicken breast with no bun. Okay? And then I'm looking and I'm thinking about it. Give me two of those. I always order two because I'm going to take one home, put it in the freezer, or put it in the fridge, and I'll have it for later, right? No, I eat it. But I've shaped my whole theology around that drive through window. God, I drove up, chicken sandwich. He says, no, 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 you have to go catch the chicken. God says, I'm not going to make it that simple because my goal is to make you into a man or a woman of God. When my granddad had a farm, he had chickens, and I used to try to catch them. If you've ever tried to catch a chicken, it's, it's more fun to watch somebody try to catch a chicken than it is to catch a chicken, I guarantee it. But God says that's how, that's how your life is. You're going to be chasing chickens. You're going to catch them. You're going to grow as a person. I'm going to teach you something in the process. When you enter into the presence of God, what it does is it reveals your weakness. See, when I really get in the presence of God, not only do I feel like loved and embraced, but I also realize, wow, you're the great God. You're a holy God. You're a majestic God. And I have no, I have no other way to look at it, and so I am so weak. It's like Isaiah 6 when it says that it was in the year King Uzziah died. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. 
the train of his robe was filling the temple. And then he, and the seraphim were flying with six wings. With two they flew, with two they covered their feet, with two they covered their eyes, and they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And his only response was this. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. I entered into the presence, and I see my own weakness. If I enter into the presence and all I see is my strength, I haven't entered into his presence. You see, your reaction, your reaction to humility reveals your future. How do you react to humility? I don't know about you, but when I'm around somebody who's humble, I'm instantly drawn to them, aren't you? I don't know what that is, but I want some of that. And when I'm around somebody that's filled with pride, I'm repelled by that. And I got, I want that in my life. And he says, do you know what that will cost you? There's a price to pay to walk humbly before me. Were you willing to pay it? And some days I go, yeah. And some days I go, I'm not sure. What's, it, what's the price tag? Amen? I mean, I'm just being honest, you know, just being, trying to be vulnerable. Sometimes it's just not that easy. And pat answers don't always work. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 9 and 10. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you. What? Get me out of my problem. No, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When you're weak, that's when you get perfect strength. When you're strong, you have imperfect strength. He says here, I would now he said I would more gladly boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me therefore I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches in needs in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake for when I am weak then am I strong Hey I don't think Paul if he were sitting here would say you know what I just love it when bad stuff happens to me I think what he would say is when bad stuff happens I've learned to re- to react from a heavenly perspective that this weakness is going to bring me strength, that God will get me through this. I mean, have you ever had those experiences like you think, God, just, are you coming through? I mean, God, are you coming through? You ever said that? God, where are you? And then God will say, have I ever let you down? No, but you've come close. Right? You kept me on the edge of my seat. No, you haven't let me down, but God, could you work a little quicker? I think we could get a better relationship if you'd work a little quicker. No, I'm about transforming you into my image, not about alleviating all your pressure. You see the difference there? I'm working in your life. You ever been frustrated by your own weakness? Anybody here got a weakness? Raise your hand. You got a weakness. Got a weakness? Okay, look around. Anybody doesn't have one? We love you guys. No weaknesses. We're gonna we're gonna give you a class. We're gonna give you a, let you teach people about this. But but when when your your own weakness comes in you and you go, God, here I am. I'm confessing the same thing all over again. Are you tired of hearing from me? No, I don't sleep. I don't grow weary. Haven't you read Isaiah? Oh yeah. So you mean I can keep doing this all the time? Yes, you can. But God, why do I have this weakness? Because sometimes you need a weakness to understand my power. Two extremes come from that insecurity. It really is an insecurity when we have a weakness we don't know what to do with. One is we wallow in our weakness. I'm just, 
who I am. I don't know what else to do. I just always fail and I wallow in it. The other thing, the other extreme is we pretend they don't exist. I just go on and I, I tell everybody what they want to hear in the church. You know, they look at, how's it going? Great. And inside you're dying. You'd be better just to go, I'm dying. Would you pray for me? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with authenticity and vulnerability with our friends? You see, there's something transformational that happens. You see, what God is showing us here is that weakness, weakness qualifies you for strength. Weakness qualifies you for strength. Isn't that unusual? It seems like it ought to be the other way. If I'm strong, gosh, wouldn't that qualify me for strength? No, you see, strength and weaknesses are two sides of the same coin. Let's take an example. Let's say your strength is your, your intelligence, and you say, look at the strength. Look what God can do with me as an intelligent person. Yes, but the other side of the coin is look what a detriment it is for you trusting in God. You look at one side of the coin, and it's your personality, and you've got this bubbling, outgoing personality. You go, look how great this is, yes, and, and, and you have that personality to, to the degree that you don't allow me to shine through you. Because every strength you have in your life is also there's a corresponding weakness that is aligned with your strength. And you have to let your strength become a weakness in order to find his strength. Denied weakness is forfeited strength. When I deny my weaknesses, I forfeit the strength that he wants to give me. I can only give it to you when you acknowledge weakness. Because as you go through life, you're going to face all kinds of problems, all kinds of enemies, and the size of your enemy determines the size of your reward. You want a big enemy? No! That's the size of your reward. You see, we use the word risk in the world, but the, the equivalent spiritual word is faith. It has a corresponding nature to it, doesn't it? I have to risk everything to see God do something. I have to faith everything to see God do something. And the greater I faith something, the greater I see God do something. It works together, the size of our enemy and the size of our reward. But God is your sufficiency in life, not your willingness to cope with the problem. You say, well, I can handle an awful lot. Well, why should you? Why don't you yield it to God and let God handle it for you? You ever prayed for something, you didn't get it? And then later you found out that was a really good thing. Anybody ever have those? So a few years ago, uh, we went to uh, my high school reunion, and my wife couldn't wait to go. She wanted to see the old girlfriend. Wives are like that. I don't know why, you know. And So she didn't eat for like two years. My wife didn't eat for two years. She was preparing. You know, every hair was in place. You know, the dress was perfect. You know, all that, and she couldn't wait. And, you know, I didn't really think much about it. You know, I, I hadn't seen her in, you know, 20 years. I don't know. They, people change. You know, I mean, I got better looking, but I don't know everybody does, right? Just kidding. So anyway, we get there, and, and you know, she's looking around. She's trying to spot her, and, you know, and I, you know, I know she's, I know what's going on over here. This one over here. I know what's going on. You're going to check it out. See how I did? And then I hear the voice, Phil Hotzenpeller. And I look at it and I go, that's not my girlfriend from all years ago. That doesn't look anything like her. I don't know what happened, but a lot changed. Looked over my wife. She was so happy. 
just so happy. Just like, you know, I'm just glad she wasn't like the model, you know, that showed up on the scene and everybody thought she was gorgeous. And, you know, if you're a, if you're a guy, in these moments, you just shut up. First mark of wisdom in guys is learn when to just shut up. And that means 90% of the time, if you shut up, you're going to get along much better with your wife. Basic step of marriage. Is that, am I wrong, guys? Huh? Right? It's just better. Let them talk. They're better at it than you are anyway. All right, now. So anyway, we get in the car. I'm not going to say a thing about the old girlfriend. I'm not saying a word. I don't want to talk about it. She goes, well, what would you think? Now, I knew she wasn't thinking about what you think about the reunion. She's talking about what you think about the old girlfriend. I, oh, what do you mean? She goes, you know what I mean. What do you think about your old girlfriend? At that time, Garth Brooks had a song out, and basically the line on it was, I thank God for unanswered prayer. I said, Tammy, I thank God for unanswered prayer. And, you know, it was one of those moments of reflection because sometimes you pray for the things that you think you want, but you shouldn't have. And if you got them, you would be so sadly disappointed because God had provided something so much better. No wonder it says, wait on the Lord. No wonder it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. No wonder. He knows best. You know, victory in your life happens when you change what you're magnifying. What are you magnifying in your life right now? Are you magnifying the problem? You won't have victory. Magnify the faith. Magnify the solution. Magnify what God will do in your life. And watch what God will do in your life. Amen? I want you to stand with me. And I want to give you, I want to, I want to ask you to do one thing for me. We're going to do a little, little exercise here. I want you to get in your mind right now what you think is one of the biggest challenges, biggest problems you're facing right now or have faced in the last week. Okay? Shouldn't be too hard. Okay, everybody got something? Okay, now I want you just to imagine it's holding, you're holding in your hand like this. Okay, just do your hand like this. Okay? Now, sometimes when I do weddings, especially if I do them for 18-year-olds, you know, 18, 19, 20, right? They're poor. They don't got anything, you know, like... They say, what do I owe you? I say, you don't owe me anything, right? The dad will walk up to me because the dad knows his son doesn't have any money. He'll walk up to me, and he'll be real sly, and he's going to like he's going to shake my hand, but he's got, a, he's got like a $20 bill in his hand, right? You ever had one of these moments? Somebody's trying to pass off a little money to you, you know, like do the, do the stealthy handshake, here's the 20 thing, and it's because he don't want anybody to see. So, and I've learned how to do the stealthy receive. Right? So I reach out and I got it, yeah, and I, you put the thumb down. This is the key. Put the thumb down. Don't lose the 20. And uh, you put the thumb down and you hold it. And then you discreetly put it in your pocket and you don't look at it until you get in your car. That's, this is the rule. Okay? Then when you get in the car, you reach in your pocket, you know, when you've driven off so nobody can see you open it up the $20 bill and you go, yeah, 20, that's great. You know? Now I want you to imagine that you've got in your hand that's that problem you're facing. Got it? Okay, now let's just close our eyes, and I want you to actually go through this exercise because it can be really powerful if you do it. And all of a sudden, you're, you're not meeting the, the father of the groom. You're standing in front of Jesus. And he reaches out his hand to shake your hand. 
And what you do is you've got in your hand the problem. You shake his hand and you exchange. You give him your problem and he takes it and he clamps it down with his thumb and he puts it in his pocket. And you walk away because your problem's gone. He, you've given it to him now. And later he reaches in his pocket and he goes, yes, that's forgiven. I've got that one. That's covered. I can handle that. Nothing to worry about. I am your king. I am your Lord. I am your Savior. Trust me. You see, Christianity is all about the great exchange. It's about me exchanging my weakness for his strength, my sin for his forgiveness, my lack of love for his great love. It's a great exchange. It's all about what relationship with Christ is. It's how you actually come into faith with God. It's when you come to him and say, God, I, I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my weakness. I acknowledge my shortcoming. And he says, thank you. And he takes your hand and he gives you redemption. He gives you love. He gives you salvation. And all he wanted you to do was recognize it, acknowledge it, and release it. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing this song that we sang earlier, it's called uh, You Don't Make Mistakes. And I really love this song for a lot of reasons. One, because uh, it's a, an original song from our worship team here. But I love it because of the message. There are days you're going to wake up and say, you know, I feel like I'm a mistake or God made a mistake. Or I wish I was this, I wish it was that. Do you realize that God loved you just the way you were before you ever met him? And now you got like half the baggage you had earlier. Romans says, if God loved us when we were enemies, how much more does he love us now that we're sons and daughters? Isn't that cool? He loves us more now, not less. I messed up. So join planet Earth, 7 billion mess-ups. Well, I don't have it all together. We already established nobody in this room does. This room is full of mess-ups whom God loves. We extend grace and love to one another as we would want them to extend grace and love to us too. Amen? So when we sing this song, I want you to, if you still got that hand, just, you know, just somewhere in this song, just cast that off. All right? Whatever's in your hand, whatever problem you're holding, just release it. Release it. You don't make mistakes, God. You brought me this for a reason, and now we're just going to give it to him. Amen? All right.